Well, good morning, church. I'm glad to see you all here and you arrived safely. Did you guys find our new bobsled parking spots out front? Was I the only one who found those? Okay. Hey, uh, we're glad you guys are here. Um, It's a frozen tundra outside, but open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And while you're opening there, let me transport you back to warmer and happier days. Uh, This last Labor Day weekend, my wife Rebecca and I were about an hour south of here hanging out with some of my extended family on the shore of a little lake there when my uncle offered me the opportunity opportunity to try my hand at sailing his little sailboat. And I'd never done anything like that before, so of course I said, sure. Now, when I agreed to this, I was under the impression that he was going to be coming along on the sailboat with me to, you know, like, tell me what to do. But he basically just said, nah, you'll figure it out. And so he sent Rebecca and I out on this sailboat together alone into the uncharted waters. And I could tell right off the get-go, this was going to be a wonderfully enriching marriage exercise for us. (laughs) Keep in mind, she's never sailed either. Of course, though, I was the husband, the fearless leader of my family, and undoubtedly the most qualified captain on board. So I put one hand on the rudder and the other on the rigging, and we set sail out into the open sea. And by set sail, I mean we kind of floated around while I tried to figure out what in the world I was doing. And I'm no genius, but it didn't take me very long to figure out that if the wind didn't blow, I wasn't going anywhere. And so we floated out there around a lot of the afternoon, just mostly floating around in circles while I tried to figure out how in the world to catch the wind the right way to get this boat going to where I wanted it to go. And for the most part, if I'm being honest, I was failing miserably. And so I humbly and graciously, being the good husband that I am, offered my wife an opportunity to try her hand at being the captain. Mostly, I really just wanted her to see that it's not as easy as it looks. And so uh, Rebecca took the rudder and about 30 seconds into it, she had the wind billowing in our sails and we were flying off across the face of the water. So that's why I'm here with you today. I decided not to quit my day job. You're welcome. (laughs) But if I learned one thing that day on that boat, it's this. If the wind doesn't blow, I'm not going anywhere. The wind is the power that moves me. We're in this season of the year right now where we're all thinking about how we'd like to move. Maybe if you're doing well, you've still got your New Year's resolutions in your mind, and maybe you'd like to move from fat to fit, or from in debt to out of debt, or from messy to organized. And if you were here last week, you know that with this big new vision, we are wanting to move as a church. We believe that God is prompting us to move boldly into the future. But if we're going to move this church corporately, and if you're going to move individually, then we can't move without some kind of power that's moving us. That's why I'm thankful that we're in the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is all about this power that moves us. The book of Acts that we're in is written by a guy named Luke. He's a really great guy. He's got a super cool name. I'd love to meet him someday. And Luke is obsessed with the power of God that moves us. He comes back to it over and over and over again in the book of Acts. That's why we're calling this series Move. And today we're going to see that God wants to move you from uncertain to empowered, from uncertain to empowered. So if you've got your Bibles open, Acts chapter two, verse one, let's take a look. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let's stop right there. Let's set the scene here for a second. So Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead about two months ago. He just ascended back up into heaven. And so Jesus' followers, this little ragtag band of, of brand new Christians are together in a house in Jerusalem. And they've spent some time praying. And all around them in Jerusalem, the Feast of Pentecost is going on. It's one of the major Jewish feasts of the year. Jews from all over the empire would come to celebrate and thank God for the harvest time. 
And so the believers are all together in this house in Jerusalem when all of a sudden this happens. Look with me, verses two through eight. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So the believers are all together when all of a sudden they're filled with the Holy Spirit and this power comes on them, power like they've never experienced before. And so they start speaking, they start speaking the good news of Jesus in all these other languages. And when the people from all over the empire hear the message of Jesus in their own heart language, they're flabbergasted and they say, wait, aren't these people from Galilee? Now Galilee, keep in mind, was hillbilly country. It was like their version of Kentucky, okay? (laughs) Not exactly the pinnacle of civilization, all right? I used to live in Kentucky. Don't hold it against me. In fact, I heard one time about a guy from Kentucky who was driving down the road. He got pulled over. Policeman walks up to the window. Do you have any ID? About what? (laughs) Kentucky people, they they can't even speak English without an accent, all right? (laughs) So if you heard somebody from Kentucky all of a sudden speaking fluent Mandarin when they didn't know it beforehand, you would have no idea where that kind of power came from. (laughs) And I'm here to tell you that that same power that filled that house and filled those people is the same power that can fill this house and fill these people. So let's ask two key questions about this power today. Number one, who's this power from? And number two, what is this power for? First, who's this power from? Well, quite simply, it's from the Holy Spirit. We just read that. This book of Acts that we're gonna be in for the next couple months is officially titled The Acts of the Apostles. Basically just means stuff the followers of Jesus did. But I think it would be a lot better titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the main character of the book. He's the force behind it all. In fact, the author here, Luke, is obsessed with the Holy Spirit. He mentions the Holy Spirit 15 times in the Gospel of Luke, more than the other Gospel writers, and 55 times in the book of Acts. Now, remember the sailboat? Do you happen to know what the word for spirit is in the Bible? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. And in the New Testament... The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. And both of those words, ruach and pneuma, mean the same thing. It means breath, wind. The Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. The Holy Spirit is the power that moves us. So let's dive a little deeper. Let's, 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 let's look, look back and zoom in here. Who, who is the Holy Spirit? Two things. First thing is this. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just some kind of vague feeling or energy. He's not like Star Wars. We're not talking about the force. It's too abstract. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. We refer to the Holy Spirit as he, not it, because he has a mind. He has a will. He makes decisions. He can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is not just some vague kind of thing or force. He's a person. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit wasn't born in Acts chapter two. He's not new. 
He always has been. He has no beginning. He has no end. He shares all the same characteristics as God because he is God. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He is God. In fact, Acts chapter five, a few chapters later, we're gonna come to this story. A guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit. And Peter says to them, he says, you've not just lied to human beings, but to God. We believe the Holy Spirit is God. And you may have heard of the word Trinity. This is what we believe about God. We believe in the Trinity. There is one God, the Bible makes that very clear, but there are three persons within that one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are inseparable they are equal, they are of one substance and being with each other, but they are three, three persons, one God. So the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father, equal to the Son, they're all God. The Holy Spirit's a person and the Holy Spirit is God. I know this is heavy, but, but, but bear with me, okay? Let's zoom in a little more. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now let's dive a little deeper. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, we see the Holy Spirit active throughout the whole Bible, not just Acts chapter two, back in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit partners with the Father and the Son in the act of creating everything. He empowers people throughout the Old Testament to build things. He chooses leaders. He inspires prophets. He comes upon people like Samson and he empowers them to do incredible things. And then we come to the New Testament and the Holy Spirit does his greatest work yet. Luke chapter one. An angel shows up to this little girl named Mary. She's a virgin, but he says, hey, you're gonna give birth to a son. His name's gonna be Jesus and he's gonna be God himself. And how's this gonna happen? Luke chapter one, verse 35, the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit brings Jesus into the world as one of us. Later on, Jesus grows up and he gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and the Holy Spirit is the one empowering and directing Jesus's ministry on earth. And then the Holy Spirit takes it to a whole new level. He one-ups himself yet again. Jesus is crucified, he dies on the cross, but the Holy Spirit raises Jesus back to life. 1 Peter chapter three says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then catch this, this blows my mind. That same Holy Spirit who created everything, who brought Jesus back to life, comes and lives in us. I've heard it said before that the Father is God without skin, Jesus is God with skin, and the Holy Spirit is God in my skin. Wow. 1 Corinthians chapter six says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? In other words, when you are baptized and you're following Jesus, that same Holy Spirit, the power, the holy wind of heaven that empowered all of Jesus' ministry on earth and, and enabled him to do all the incredible, amazing things that he did, that same Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit that lives in you, empowering your life. Wow, that's some kind of power. Uh, an amazing scholar, his name is John Stott, he writes this. He says, as a body without a breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. In other words, church, we are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, clever enough, wise enough to live this Christian life on our own. And I am continually convicted for myself that I so often settle for a life that is less than the one that Jesus died to give me. And I'm wondering, for some of you today, if you're just kind of sitting in your boat, 
floating around, wondering why you aren't going anywhere. When I was in high school, my passion was water skiing. I was a lake rat. And my best friends growing up were my cousins, Brian and Ben. And when we were in high school, Brian bought a ski boat. It was a piece of junk. 1977 Sea Shark with a Ford 302 V8. That was our first problem. I learned at a very young age what Ford stands for. Found on road dead, right? <laughs> But man, we, we loved that boat and we went to the lake every chance we got. We'd go skiing all the time. In fact, in fact, we formed this little club. We called ourselves the BLB 12-Month Ski Club. BLB stands for Brian, Luke, and Ben. We're super creative. <laughs> and our goal was to go water skiing at least once every month for every month of the year. And we did it. We did it 20 months in a row. We went water skiing. Even when there was ice on the lake, we went water skiing. I lost a lot of brain cells that winter, all right? <laughs> But we loved going to the lake. We went to the lake every chance we got. But if I'm being honest, we spent a lot more time working on that old boat than we did ever water skiing. Man, we had to fix leaks and we put in a stereo system and we'd be busting our knuckles, turning wrenches and we had to take the motor out and overhaul it. And it seemed like every stinking week we were at the lake, we would break down. It was not an unusual occurrence. We'd be floating out there on the water, eating little Debbies, living the good life. Somebody jump in with a pair of skis. They'd get ready to go. We'd turn the key and... Nothing. Oh. And this happened over and over and over again. Ford, fix or repair daily, right? <laughs> so I remember one particular time we were out there floating out on the water. We were stranded. There was nobody around that we could holler at to give us a tow back to the shore. And so what we had to do is I had to jump out in the water and they had one end of the rope tied to the boat and I was holding the other end of the rope in my teeth and I had to swim and pull the boat back to the dock. Now I'm not that good of a swimmer, all right? This is not how that boat was meant to run. It was meant to have this roaring, thundering V8 engine in it, empowering it to fly across the surface of the water, not some teenage kid doggy paddling it. And unfortunately, I think somehow and sometimes that's how we live. We live like that. We live as if we can do it on our own. If we just pull hard enough, we can get where we need to go. But listen to me, church, we don't have the power on our own, to move where we need to move. You do not have the power to move yourself from depressed to joyful, from angry to patient, from lost to found, from addicted to free, from stressed to peaceful. You can't do it on your own. You cannot move yourself. We cannot move this church on our own. We need the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from death to be the power that propels our life. So who's this power from? It's from the Holy Spirit, and we need him. Let's dig a little deeper. What is this power for? How are we supposed to use it? Well, let's take a look. Uh, you might remember if you were here last week that Steve preached from Acts chapter one, verse eight. Might be the most important verse in the whole book of Acts. It's this verse where Jesus promises his followers that they're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And then he gives them a hint as to what this power is for. Take a look, Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit does many things and the rest of the New Testament talks a lot about what the Holy Spirit does. But the author of Acts, Luke, his primary concern is drilling it deep into our heads that the Holy Spirit gives us power to witness, to spread the good news of Jesus. Let's just take a look at what happens in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit fills the believers and what do they do? They start talking. They start talking about Jesus. They start speaking other languages. Peter gets up and he preaches the first Christian sermon. Now stop for a second. Let's pause right there. Who's preaching this sermon? 
Oh yeah, this is Peter. Peter, the disciple of Jesus who said and did some incredible things but also got used to the taste of his own foot in his mouth, right? This is Peter, the one who boldly bragged, Jesus, I will never deny you even to the point of death. And then that very same night, he did deny Jesus because he got intimidated by a little girl. Peter, I mean, if anybody is, I mean, this dude's uncertain. This dude is a coward. But then, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the followers of Jesus, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, is moved from uncertain to empowered, and he starts proclaiming the news of Jesus. And all throughout the book of Acts, we see Peter. He gets beat up. He gets thrown in jail. He gets taken to court. He gets put on death row, but they can't stop him. And here he is in Acts chapter 2. He's standing up in front of some of the very same people who were part of the mob responsible for killing Jesus. He knew what they did to Jesus. He knew they could do the exact same thing to him. But he speaks to them not with uncertainty, but with power. I mean, just look at what Peter says in his sermon, verses 22 through 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Can I get an amen this morning? All right, let's get going. That's good news. Then verse, verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow. That's some powerful preaching. And the same Holy Spirit who empowered that sermon is the one who empowers us to spread the good news of Jesus to the people around us. You see, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't fill us with power so that we can do cool tricks. We're not street performers or magicians. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill us with power so that we can look really cool and make our own names great. The Holy Spirit fills us with power so we can make the name of Jesus great and spread the good news of his salvation to the ends of the earth. We're gonna see this all throughout the book of Acts. We're gonna see the Holy Spirit come on people and tell them where to go, where not to go, who to talk to, what to say. The Holy Spirit speaks through all kinds of people, women, men, young, old, Jews, Gentiles, apostles, deacons, priests, prophets, ministers, and ordinary, average, everyday Joes like us. You see, if you're following Jesus, if you've been baptized, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has saved you. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just save you. He also sends you. He sends you to witness. Because listen, real, real close, church. We're not gonna win the world with a bigger building or better preaching or cooler music or more programs or a bigger budget. We're gonna win the world when we surrender to the spirit of the living God and we let him fill us and empower us to reach the people around us in our neighborhoods and apartment complexes and offices and schools and everywhere we go. You see, the book of Acts, this is more than just a history lesson. This is a glimpse of what God can do in us, of what God can do in you. This is not just a past event. This is a present reality because God is not idle or inactive. Jesus is not dormant or dead. The Holy Spirit is not stale or stagnant. He is alive. He is active. He has the power to move you. You have the divine dynamite living in you. You have the breath of life, the wind of heaven taking up residence in your body. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are you uncertain about? 
We just rolled out this big new vision for the church, impacting homes by opening ours. And I'm excited about it because we have spent over a year and we've been soaking this vision in prayer. We have sat in our boat and waited for the wind to blow. And the wind is blowing. The Spirit is leading. And so we're moving. The Spirit is leading us to recapture the mission and the vision and the vitality and the power of the first century church. And that's exciting and that's new and he's taking us somewhere bold and brave. But that doesn't mean it'll be easy. Let's be honest here. So what is it about this vision that you're uncertain about? Maybe for you it's the thought of missional hospitality, having people in your home and part of your life because if you're being honest, your life is busy and kind of messy, and they might see the dirty dishes in your sink, and they might get a glimpse of the fact that your kids don't always obey you perfectly, and sometimes you disagree with your husband. Maybe you're uncertain about the idea of building relationships with lost people, because they don't spend their time or their money like you, they don't talk like you, dress like you, have the same priorities you do. How in the world are you going to relate to them? Maybe you're uncertain about the fact that you might have to rearrange your schedule and cut some things out of your life to build in the margin necessary for those intentional relationships. Maybe you're uncertain because this might mean laying some of your hobbies aside or rearranging your schedule because you're prioritizing relationships with people. And that's a scary thing. That's uncertain. Maybe you're uncertain about having intentional spiritual conversations with unbelievers because what if they ask you a hard question that you don't know how to answer, like why do you believe in the existence of God or why is Jesus the only way or how could a good and powerful and loving God allow pain and suffering into the world? Those are tough questions. Whatever it is that you're uncertain about this vision, let me give you an encouragement and a challenge. First, the encouragement. Right now, I want you to take that thing that you're uncertain about, that thing you're nervous about, scared of in regards to this vision, and bring it to the front of your mind. Lay it before God, the Holy Spirit who lives in you. I've got my thing in my mind right now. Now, I want you to read this truth out loud with me as a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Offer him your uncertainty. Read this with me. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I believe that. I believe that that thing that I'm uncertain about and you're uncertain about, the Holy Spirit is empowering us to walk right through it and bring us out on the other side even better. He gives you the power to face it head on. So that's what we're gonna do. That's my encouragement. Here's my challenge. This vision, impacting homes by opening ours, is all about us becoming hospitable people to build relationships with lost people and show them the love of Jesus. So I have three steps I want you to take today to become a more hospitable person. Three steps to get us started on this journey together. Step number one is this. Open your program, and in your program, you've received a little grid printed there on your program. The grid, I think, will be up here on the screen. This logo in the middle of the grid, this is our new church logo. And I actually want you to watch a video here for a couple minutes just explaining the meaning behind our new church logo. Hi everyone, my name is Kyle Ferguson and I am the Media Arts Director here at the church. I get to work with a great team of people doing communications here and we've been hard at work behind the scenes ever since we got to hear the vision from our leaders. One of the things that we have been working on is a logo and as many of you may know, there's a lot more to a logo than what you see on the surface. So I wanted to take a few moments and explain that to you all. For the last several years, the tree has been part of our logo. 
It's symbolic of life and growth in Christ and a nod to the founders of Plainfield Christian Church who began meeting way back in 1829 under a grove of trees. Of course, there are some things that will never change, even with a new vision for our church. The foundation of Plainfield Christian Church is and will continue to be Christ. Another thing that will not change is our purpose of loving all people to new life in Christ. We commit to doing that through our priorities of loving God through faithful worship, growing deeper in God's Word and in fellowship with His people, serving one another in love, and reaching lost people around us and around the world. While our purpose and priorities remain the same, our methods for accomplishing them are changing. We believe that God has you in your community, neighborhood, and workplace for a reason, and that's to impact those around you with the love of Jesus. You see, the church is not really a building on the corner of Dan Jones and Township Line. You are the church to those that God has placed in your life. We believe that opening our lives to those people through hospitality is our pathway to connecting people to the love of Christ and that our homes are the best vehicle for accomplishing this. This vision helps us to recapture the spirit and the vitality of the first century church that we read about in the book of Acts. These people used their homes and whatever resources God entrusted to them, and Scripture tells us that their numbers increased daily. We believe that the Holy Spirit can use us in a similar way as we open our homes and lives to those around us. Opening our family home is part of this vision, but we also believe that opening our church home to our community and hospitality is an extension of God's hospitality that He's shown towards us. This new logo is a simple design that represents the simplest way of transforming our community through impacting homes by opening ours. So that's our church logo, and that's the meaning behind it. And this, this logo here at the middle of this grid, this represents your house because the church isn't 800 Dan Jones Road, just like Kyle said. You are the church right where you are in your community, in your neighborhood. So this, this logo represents your house and the blank spaces around it on the grid, that represents the people around you. So I want you to fill in those blank spaces with your neighbors, with the people around you who don't know Jesus, with your friends who are lost. Fill in those blank spaces with the people in your life that you think the Holy Spirit can use you to reach. Uh, we've got our grid uh, full of names. It's hanging on our fridge. We're praying over that thing. So when you get your grid filled, I want you to pray over this grid. Cut it out of your bullet and put it up somewhere where you're gonna see it and pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you and empower you to reach those people, to build a relationship with them, to learn their story, and then to walk through an open door and proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. Pray, 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 pray. The Holy Spirit's the only way we're gonna do this. He's the power behind all of it. So pray over this grid. That's the first step. The second step is this. When you're ready, dedicate your home. We want you to dedicate your home. When you decide that you're ready to impact homes by opening yours, when you're ready to let the Spirit fill you and empower you to build intentional relationships with unbelievers and help share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, we want you to dedicate your home just by saying, hey, this is gonna be me. I'm gonna be the church in my community. So you can dedicate your home by going to mypcc.info and uh, tap the vision card. There's a link on there. You can do that or you can do it out in the hub. They're gonna have people who can assist you in doing it via paper. And we're gonna have a big map of our community out there in the hub. And for every person who dedicates their home, we're gonna put a pin on that map, just as a reminder that we are the church in our community. We are the bright light of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach the lost that God has placed around us, okay? So that's the first two things. Fill out the grid and pray over it. Secondly, dedicate your home when you're ready. And the third thing is this. Start practicing hospitality. 
Just take the next step of hospitality. It's gonna be different for every one of us and uh, you might be nervous about it. You might be uncertain about it. That's okay. The Holy Spirit can empower you to do this. So just take the next step and whatever phase of life you're in, it's gonna look different. So maybe that means for you, you just go out to dinner with somebody once a month and start building a relationship with them. And maybe that means you invite them into your home once a month. Maybe that means every other week you have somebody over to your house or maybe even you have a night every week that you say, all right, this is our hospitality night and you're gonna invite people over. You're gonna invite your neighbors over. Whatever it is, Start practicing hospitality. Just take the next step. And even if you're nervous, even if you're uncertain, take the next step in faith and the Holy Spirit will empower you to build these kinds of relationships with people. So fill out the grid, pray over it, dedicate your home and start practicing hospitality. Wherever you are today, the Holy Spirit wants to move you. When the people heard Peter's sermon, at the end of the sermon here, the Spirit moved in the hearts of the people who heard him. And they moved in response. When they heard the truth of their own guilt, when they heard the reality of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on their behalf, they moved. Acts chapter two, verses 37 through 39 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're uncertain and you're ready to be filled and empowered. Maybe today you feel the wind blowing. If that's you and you're ready to move, if you're ready to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized and filled with his Holy Spirit, then don't put it off. I'm gonna be up here at the front of the room. Steve's back there. You can go talk to us. Shoot us an email. Do whatever it takes, but don't put it off. Wherever you are today, the spirit of the living God wants to move you. Whatever it is that you're uncertain about, he wants to empower you. And the truth is that this vision, this church, won't go anywhere without his spirit. Because without him, we can try whatever we want, but at the end of the day, we're just a boat floating around, dead on the water, waiting on the wind. But when the wind blows, we move. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you for sending your son. We love following him. And Jesus, we praise you for sending your spirit to fill us. That the spirit of the almighty God who created everything, who raised Jesus from the dead would dwell in us, we're overwhelmed. And we want more of you. So Father, my prayer today is that in this room, your Holy Spirit would cut us to the heart, would convict every single person in this room right now of how you want to move us and that you would fill us with the courage and the wisdom to take the next step. We love you so much and we are here to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.